Welcome to the Foul Vine Podcast with Sarah and Scotty Mo. Here, everything wine and baseball is in fair territory. Today, we will be drinking a 29 Pinot Grigio, discussing league news, arbitration, the international signing period, and then we're going to answer some listener questions. So grab a glass and join us. Look, big paper, I increase my wealth, uh, red wine, that's good for my health, uh, wrestle with demons, I ain't take no L's, uh, allow me to introduce myself, I said, you don't, okay, welcome to the Falvine Podcast with Sarah and Scotty Moe, where everything, everything wine baseball is in fair territory. Isn't Welcome that right? Back. Yeah. It's our first white wine of 23, Scotty. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm also feeling better about what's on my head today. <laughs> Got a better logo. My Yankee beanie for anyone who can't see, which is everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those colors do look a little bit better on you. Thank you. I know. I know. Mm. Yeah. All right. So ready to drink some wine and talk about baseball? Let's do it. What do we got today? Today, we have a white wine. It's a Pinot Grigio, um, which is the same thing as a, a Pinot Gris. Ooh. Is there a, it's the same grape. It's just okay. called Pinot Grigio or Pinot Gris. Um, this is from 2019, a good year, maybe. Um, everyone was so blissful and unaware um, in 2019. And this is from Devil's Advocate. So let's pop it open, and then I'll give you a little bit more background. All right. So we now have two glasses of Pinot Grigio. Typical flavors of this kind of grape are, you know, you get a white peach or a lemon cantaloupe, maybe some almond or some crushed gravel. Okay. I'm smelling green apple right off the boat. Mm, I smell pear. Okay. I smell pear right off the boat. Um, a little bit more about this grape. It's actually just a pink grape mutation of a Pinot Noir. Um, but it's that's why it's a Pinot still, but it's a Grigio instead of a Noir. Um, yeah, I definitely smell pear, maybe some melon even. Just It's like a cit very citrusy smell. Mm. Well, just took a sip. I really like this. It's a um, lot um, less sweet than I thought it was going to be. So it's kind of it's bolder when you when it first hits your uh, your tongue, and then like I I think the finish is I want to say sweeter but smoother. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, I would say this is medium dry with a medium body, um, not not as acidic as I thought it was going to be. So. Um, that's pretty nice, honestly. Not. I just want to point that. out, it's very clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see through. Not too much of a yellow tint or a white wine grape tint to it. Um, kind of looks like white grape juice, which I guess that's exactly what this is. Um, I really like the taste. I I do get a lot of flavor, a lot of tannins. I don't know if that's oak or gravel, but something musky, Not, but not too much. It's just the right amount. It it, it tastes fresh. Mm -hmm. um, and I really actually like this as far as white wine goes. So this is from Devil's Advocate. 
which is a relatively new brand. Um, they're from 2018. So this is only the, this is a 2019. So this is the second year bottle for them. Um, they're actually a brand within the umbrella of Stupendous Sellers, which is a division of Penrose Hill Limited. Penrose, also known as First Leaf, is a new wine club. So you can go on and put on what you like, on the website and based on whatever you like and your flavor profiles they'll send you they'll send you some wine um so it's really interesting some other brands of within stupendous sellers are right now which is a canned wines and a bode well um so look out for those um but they're by the same company all by penrose hill what do you think of the taste scotty i like it um yeah, I, I, it, the boldness at the beginning really sticks out to me, but I am getting like a a citrus at the end. Um, it, it, you know, you're you're getting what you what you smell almost. Mm -hmm. um, it's very good. I like it. I do too. Yeah, it's it tastes like pear juice with a little bit of oak in there for me. Yeah, it's like the oak to begin with, and then the pear juice afterwards. Yeah, to finish, exactly. Which is not which is a nice finish. Um, but you said this was similar to it's from first leaf or first yes so okay. first leaf owns the wine company that this is a brand of gotcha so it's a sub subdivision of first leaf basically yeah um yeah interesting so i this is a really affordable bottle out there um for those looking to ball on a budget to drink wine on a budget i actually came to this wine from my mom shout out mama stein thanks for sending this wine for us to try really good it's a like i said white wine pinot grigio 2018 devil's advocate shout out mama stein shout out mama stein yeah so we'll uh, come back to you with a rating and a comp at the end of the show drink drink along with us grab a glass drink responsibly All right, Scotty. So what do we got for Vineyard Vibes today? What's happening around the league this past week? All righty. So um, first, league news. It was announced that in all AAA parks, there will be row bottoms in 2023. Um, we saw this in the Arizona Fall League. Um, you know, it'll be interesting, interesting to see how this um, works at a higher level. Um, I, I'm also wondering if they're going to have the challenge system because you would see in the Arizona Fall League, um, you know, a player could tap on his head up at the press box and uh, challenge a strike call, which is pretty funny. Um, but that is coming in 2023 in AAA, and I don't know how long it'll take to get to the big leagues or if it will, but it sounds like it's on its way. Um, when we got some free agent news, um, the Cubs... Just brought in Trey Mancini along with Eric Hosmer a couple weeks ago. So that is a few um, first basemen they have on their team now. Good veteran presence for the young guys. The Cubs are, have had an interesting offseason. Very interesting. They're collecting it. They're collecting names. They're collecting baseball cards of of players that have made an impact on rosters within the past five years, right? Um, along with they have some good young guys so they're going to be a very interesting team to watch this year yeah i could see them um improving on their year last year and moving into like you know right behind um milwaukee and st louis in that division but they'll be a fun watch 
this year. Um, next, uh, Boston signed Jorge Alfaro on a minor league deal. So that adds to their ca- catching depth. You know, they lost Christian Vasquez last year at the deadline to the Astros. And now their catchers are, I believe, Reese McGuire is a starter. So I'm sure Alfaro will get some big league time. He's known for his stick, my DH a little bit. Um, something to watch out for. And then um, Milwaukee brought in Brian Anderson, who was uh, non-tendered in November by the Marlins. He's all, he was the most tendered Marlin until this year. Uh, he's going to serve as more of like a depth piece, it seems like, for Milwaukee. Third base, corner outfield, maybe. Um, so, you know, Milwaukee continues to add some interesting got utility role players. You know, Abraham Toro was one we really liked. Definitely. And then lastly, today, the Mets signed Tommy Pham to a one-year $6 million deal. They, you know, lost out on Korea, unfortunately, and they've been wanting to add some um, depth, especially in the outfield. You know, I'm sure he'll, he'll see some starts, and, and um, you know, Tommy Pham, Pham has been a reliable player over the past couple of years for, you know, for the Reds, for the Padres, Rays, um, Red Sox at the end of last year. So, um you know, those are a few, few of the signs that have happened over the past week. I know you had some news too to, yeah. to break to us, so I'll like I, turn it over. I do just want to say I do like that pickup by the Mets. I do like Tommy Pham. I think um, he's fits in on rosters and teams that are going somewhere, want to achieve something. That's why I think he was a standout player for the Rays when they needed him to be, and he'll probably be that for the Mets. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so some news I want to talk about was uh, Frank Thomas. So not the big hurt Frank Thomas, but um, former Major League Baseball player Frank Thomas from the 50s, 60s. He is originally from Pittsburgh, and he just passed away this past week. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Frank Thomas. Um, there was an article in the New York Times about him, and there was a funny story that basically there's an outfielder and an infielder, and they needed to know how to communicate because they're, you know, the 1962 Mets, and they're not doing so hot. Um, and they're their first year of existence, and they're having some miscommunication problems. So um, the outfielder and the infielder talk it through. And one of the coaches like, he just speaks Spanish. When you're going for a fly ball, just say, yo la tengo, which is, I have it. <laughs> yo la tengo, yo la tengo. And so a play comes up, a pop fly, and the outfielder screams, yo la tengo, yo la tengo. So the infielder backs off, but no one told Frank Thomas, the other outfielder. So he comes in charging. Oh, and no. uh, yeah, and they bump and they miss the ball because no one told Frank about yo la tengo. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, so I just thought, thought that was kind of funny uh funny story but yeah he played all over not just with the pirates even though he's from here originally he played with the cubs um and the mets and some other teams as well yeah rest in peace frank i believe he was originally from the johnstown area so that's like an an out right outside of pittsburgh it's a a suburb but yeah definitely uh you know 286 career home runs he had a nice career and Rest he hit peace. 34 home runs in one season with the Mets, which was a record for a long time. Um, and at the end of the article at the Times, there's a funny quote. He got invited to go to Big Hertz um, Cooperstown ceremony, so the other Frank Thomas. And at the end, it says, well, at least I know my name will always be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> um, another pirate news. Guess who's back, Scotty? 
He is back. Andrew McCutcheon is back in the Berg. How do you feel about it? I'm excited. I, you know, I grew up here and the only time I ever saw postseason baseball was in college for three years. Um, it's, it's during Cutch's prime. He won MVP. Um, he was the franchise player. I mean, he was someone that everyone idolized and, and he loved the city. He still lives here in the off season. Um, he has since he left here. So it's good to see him back. I hope he retires here. I hope he is, um, you know, I hope he has a, a good season and they keep him and, and that he's a good presence for like the younger guys coming up. I'd love to see him be a part of the like next great Pirates team. That would be so cool. Come full circle. Yeah, it would be cool just to see him pass the torch along and also teach the current players, you know, what it means to be part of the community in Pittsburgh and really show them the way um, through that. Um, and just being a presence in the clubhouse. Um, the fans are going to love it. That's what's going to bring, bring him people to PNC this year him yeah. and O'Neill Cruz basically yeah for sure I think uh, he'll be a good influence on O'Neill but it'll be nice to see people back in PNC Park it's a beautiful ballpark I, I am interested on the baseball side where they're going to play him because mm-hmm. at the end of his Pirates tenure you know his defense was declining they moved him from center to right typically you put your strongest arm in in right field and that's not his strong suit but our right field with the the short dis- distance wall but uh, you know, it left field is much bigger in PNC Park. So yeah. it's gonna depend on ballpark, but I would think that they're gonna put him in right at PNC, but I'm not, you know. Yeah, one... I would think split right DH, right? Now yeah. that that's a universal DH that kind of helps him in his career. Um but yeah, I wonder if they're using this and maybe he'll go into coaching. Maybe he's using yes. this as an opportunity to shadow Sheltie or dk or someone he's definitely a good personality great i mean the game is better with kutch in it so happy uh-huh. to see him back welcome back to the 412 kutch no you never left but welcome back <laughs> uh, to the to the yellow and black we're happy to have you also in the news this week um was arbitration right this is a big time of year for player contracts for um getting money for the next season and going to hearings so um, in the news, it was whoa, 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 let me pause. in the news. It said, "Okay, the Padres avoid arbitration hearings with Soto and Hater, which is huge. It means that they don't have to go to a hearing. They can just sign them for the next year. They can just give them money. They're already signed. Um, so we just wanted to go through for those fans out there who don't really know much about the arbitration process, what it is, how it's determined, why it even exists." Um, and just explain it a little bit better for you guys because not every baseball fan or person really knows what this process is like and it, it might help you enjoy the off season a little bit more if you know what's going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um so I can break it down. Um you know, arbitration is such a different process. Like you don't you're not seeing this in any other sport. Um Essentially, arbitration is a process where the salary numbers for the upcoming season are determined for a player that are, that is not yet eligible for free agency and could not come to uh, terms on a contract by a set deadline. So the deadline was Friday, January thir- or January 13th, this past Friday. Um, essentially, um, th- the player and the team both propose a salary figure. And the players that are eligible for, for this are players with more than three years of service time 
and less than six. So a team has full control of you for for six years until you hit free agency. So anywhere after that third year, and then until you're free until you hit free agency, you're eligible for arbitration. Some guys hit it three all three years. Um, so you know, play, like I said, players and teams present their own salary numbers based on recent contract benchmarks set by similar um, players, and they negotiate from there. And if no agreement can be made by deadline in by which was January thirteenth, the case goes before a arbitrator in February for final settlement. And you know, the fi final salary number is set by that third party arbitrator um, using the proposed numbers by both sides. Um, so it's it can be. I'm not a really big fan of this process. Like I think, I don't think either side truly wants to go through this. Um, you know, recent example being a Yankee fan, I remember when Dylan Batances, who was our eighth inning um, setup man, uh, maybe four or five years ago, went to arbitration, and you know, essentially you're going against the team, and team is telling you why you're not worth the money that you're proposing, and it, I, I think it just it's not good for morale. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, it, it can be an ugly process, and it could and it could cause bad blood between both sides. So, um, you know, it's uh, I'll, I'll always be pro player. Um, I think we all will. But um, you know, I, I think if you if you ask people in the front office, you know, general managers, you know, um, anyone who's tasked with this process, I don't think they are looking forward to it either. Yeah, I don't think they're either. Just to give a little bit more context, so um, the minimum salary for 2023 for a major league player is 720000 It'll increase by 20000 each year up until 2026. Um, so players who come into the league now make their debut, they will get that 720 k which is amazing. Um, but obviously, compared to some other numbers, it, it looks like pennies. Um, one thing else I wanted to say was that, so you have your three years of service time, and then you become eligible of arbitration, and then at six years, you become a free agent. If you hit, so one year of service time is equal to 172 days on that 26-man roster or the injured list. So if you hit... If you're a player who plays in a lot of games, so you play in more than 172 games each year, you might have the option or the ability to become a Super 2 player, which mm -hmm. is a player who ranks in the top 22% of service time um, among those who have accumulated between two to three years. So some players are arbitration eligible after two years based on service time. Um, that's called a super two player. Yeah, th thanks for bringing up super two. I don't, I, I, I don't think a lot of people know about super two, and that's definitely a, um, you know, I didn't really understand it at first, but um, there are, like you said, players that are eligible for arbitration earlier, depending on the days of service time. So, and it's also why player uh, teams don't necessarily want to bring up major triple a AAA player to the major leagues because that starts their service clock right away so then 
they're more likely to become a super two player and thus the team is going to have to pay them more money in the long run. So there's some service time manipulation by a lot of teams because they don't want their players to become arbitration eligible sooner than they have to. Exactly. Most like there's been a lot of recent examples, but one that comes to mind is like Chris Bryant. I, I think yeah, he was, he's the one that I always that always comes to mind. For me he too. was in spring training. I think he was he hit double digit home runs in spring training, and and he was clearly ready. Like there was no reason to send him back to AAA, but they sent him to AAA for those two weeks, so he wouldn't reach the full service time. Yeah. Um, that year, which is um. You know. Yeah, so the Players Union actually brought this up in the past, um, for before last year's CBA um, agreement got, you know, finalized, and there's a new um, pre-arbitration bonus pool now. So players who aren't arbitration eligible still are eligible for bonuses, um, which is new this year. So there's a couple of them. I'll just read off what this pre-arb bonus pool is. So it's $50 million from the league for players that begin the season with fewer than three years and also do not qualify for a super two status. So of that 50 million, around 38 million are saved, 38 million of those $50 million are saved for statistical accomplishments. So they look at joint war which is the special so it's you know wins above replacement but a special calculation done by the commissioner's office to rank players based on war and award them award them money basically award them bonuses based on their fields based on their playing on the field well words are hard <laughs> um based on their play um so you have 38 million going to just straight on the field. You're, you know, you, you added value to the team by this much. So we're going to give you this much money. The other 11 of that 50 million is for those who finished high in year end voting. Um, so if you're, you know, finished with, you know, certain level of Cy Young voting and you're a second year rookie, right? You're going to get a bonus. If you same with any of the end of year MVP awards, any of the end of year awards, you're going to get that. So a um, hundred players were eligible to do this and they a hundred players received pre-arbitration um, bonus money. Three of the hundred players got bonuses of uh, at least $2 million. Oh, yeah, which is crazy, right? So Dylan Cease, he got the most. He's a deserved. Right yeah, what well, very much well deserved. He's a right-handed pitcher for the Chicago White Sox. He received two point five million dollar bonus. Um, he had a great year. He had a sub three ERA, almost sub two. Um, and I so I think that two point five is a combination of his war and also a combination of his um MB Cy Young. Um, placement in the voting, mm -hmm. right? Um, the other two that got more got bonuses of more than two million dollars were Jordan Alvarez. Um, he's the outfielder DH for the Astros. He got two point four million, and then a Blue Jays pitcher, Alec Manoa. He, he was got, also Cy Young. Exactly, so that's why he's up there in the bonuses mm -hmm. because he was voted for Cy Young, and he got two point two million. So be on the lookout for pre-arbitration bonuses. It is something to help boost the players, help balance out this process a little bit more because then those first three years, you're not just waiting around to get bonuses and you're like, why am I working hard if I'm not going to get um, anything extra for this because you're not even allowed to 
negotiate for a better contract after which you're allowed to do after three years. So the first three years, you're now eligible for these special bonuses. Oh, I like that. No, it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. It gives these guys like an incentive exactly. in those early years. So that's awesome. I think you're going to see a lot of these guys be really competitive with the Cy Young, the rookie of the year voting and all that. Um, that, that That's awesome. I, I, I also want to bring up, Sarah, that um, if we want to jump into, um, there were 33 players. Yeah. So we were did pre arb. Now we're going to do actual arb. So these are players. There are 200 players eligible this year for arbitration. Yep. And so there were 33 of them that did not come to an agreement with their team. And, you know, there's some notable, notable names here that they're going to be going to a hearing and I don't know the exact date, but it's usually early February with their team. Um, you know, a couple examples, Kyle Tucker filed at 7.5 while the Astros filed at five. So the arbiter, um, or it's really a panel of arbiters, I believe mm -hmm. when they pick which side they're going to go with, they either pick one number or the other. They can't pick a number in between. Oh, so it's not negotiation. It, it's not okay. a negotiation anymore because once you go to the exchange day, when you're filing your number to exchange with the team, it's no longer a negotiation. I mean, some, you know, Bo Bichette filed at 7.5, the Blue Jays filed at 5, Corbin Burns 10.75, the Brewers 10.01. Guys, <laughs> give the extra money. Like the, the, the differences are minute. I mean, Corbin Burns won a Cy Young. Kyle Tucker is a potential MVP. Bo Bichette's a star. Max Freed. Um, there's so many big names on this list. Um, it's pretty crazy that there's these small differences. That's why I'm not like a big fan of this process. It's Kyle Tucker deserves more than 7.5 million for, uh, for his level of play. I would agree. So does Corbin Burns more than 10.75. Like they're worth more than that. Why are the, Why is this even being negotiated? It's actually interesting. So Bo Bichette and Kyle Tucker actually have the widest spread between what they filed and what the team filed. So if 2.5 million is the biggest spread, it, it does seem a little bit silly to go through this process, right? 2.5, I'm not saying that's not nothing. 2.5 billion is a lot to a team. But when you look and you see, you know, um, some of the differences are so small that it's kind of silly, like you were saying. Just give yeah. the players money. But some are big, like Kyle Tucker and Bubba Shut, $2.5 million is a lot to a team owner. And it, or I don't know, to a team owner, but to a team that could be using those resources elsewhere. Yeah. So to you and I and to everyone, probably listening like 2.5 million there's like that's a very big you know difference but like um you know or might not be but um these guys when they're putting up five plus war a year i i, I don't know have the exact numbers in my head but uh you know one war i believe was worth eight million more than that probably now with inflation i mean these guys are worth that and more like i mean these guys are Kyle Tucker is a big contributor to that Astros World Series team. Bo Bichette is a top 10 shortstop in the league. Um, Corbin Burns, one of Cy Young, one of the best pitchers in the league consistently. I, there's the, it, It's crazy that this process has to happen. It's, it's a really unique process that doesn't happen in other sports. Yeah, it is very interesting. Um, also, of note, 11 teams um, actually signed all their eligibility arbitration eligible players so they don't even have to worry about hearings and that's the goal for every team is to sign all your players who are eligible for arbitration so you don't have to go to a hearing 
most of the time the hearings do end in favor of players, I would think, but you never really want to go there because as a player, your salary can also be cut up to a max of 20%. So it's it can be risky to go to a hearing. It'll be interesting to see, but yeah, um, we'll look for those deadlines to come and those um, arbiters to decide who's getting what money in February. Absolutely. Hopefully the players. <laughs> Hopefully the players. <laughs> we are big uh, on the player side here. Like I said before, luckily the Padres avoided it with um, Juan Soto and Hayter because those are key players in their team. And then not and to lock them down and not have to Soto got 20 plus I believe yeah. I think it was 22 23 yes let's see um 23 yeah that's okay he's worth it yeah and the record um was set this year by Shohei Otani who got 30 million is he good I hear he's doing all right yeah yeah <laughs> All right, so what else we got, Sarah? What else is in the news? Yeah, let's sip a glass of wine and then get on to that international signing period. All right, okay, so we're talking all things offseason, all things in the news right now. The international signing period, you may have seen it in the news. What is that? So, we want to walk through that with you and then talk about some of the signings. So when you think about the player acquisition process for teams, there are a lot of different vehicles, a lot of different avenues. You have drafts, you have trades, um, and then you have the um, international signing period. So that's where you see a lot of international stars, Fernando Tatis, Vlad Jr. I mean, I could go on for ages. It's incredible. Honestly, I'm unbelievable. And most of these guys actually sign when they're 16, 17 years old. And so that process has changed a lot throughout the years. But this year, it started on January 15th. So January 15th was the first day teams can ink 16-year-olds to send to their DR Academy and get them ready um, to whether that's add to their minor league rosters, major league rosters, or even be used as trade chips, right? Long down the line. Um, so it's part of the talent acquisition process for, for many teams. And the signing period is January 15th to December 15th. So it's basically all year, but most people sign right away on January 15th so that you get the guys you want to get. You're trying to scoop up town. Obviously, this is a competitive game, competitive industry. You want to sign the guys you want when you want them. And January 15th is a big day because it's the first day open and people have been working for years um, to get the people to sign on this day. I also want to note, um, uh, maybe point out the obvious to the baseball world, but um, maybe to the casual fan that this a lot of these deals are made like beforehand Be the like, deals are made but they're like, not legitimate not January. legitimate like yeah. pen to paper no but like you know the top prospect probably knows where he's signing a year before i don't know about a year before yeah, but within definitely. that range yeah, yeah. i mean it's kind of it's it's kind of crazy the process like these guys are 15 and they're <laughs> committing they're to a major league team they yeah. have so much physical development left in their life and and it's so hard to um 
to um you know project these guys they're yeah. coming from everywhere except for the united states and puerto rico obviously so the guys that aren't eligible for that uh draft um there's also been a um you know in the cba they couldn't come to an agreement on a potential international draft that's that's also been uh discussed and uh, you know that maybe something that could happen in the future but um not anywhere close at this time yeah so how this works is each team gets a pool of money um uh, it's called the signing bonus pool and it's typically based on a couple of factors so it's based on your record um also could be related to competitive balance picks that happened in the rule four draft um which is the american draft that you know in the summer people just call it the draft but it's the draft the rule four draft um it can be based on that and then um, a lot of different factors go in it depends you may lose money if you sign a player who rejected a qualifying offer the year before and so i just wanted to run through what the bonus pools were um for each team or where they ranked if that if that sounds good yeah so the highest um the eight there's eight teams who have the largest amount and that's 6.4 million dollars um and it's because they received a competitive balance pick in round b of the draft so that's oakland milwaukee seattle miami tampa bay cincinnati detroit and minnesota so they have 6.4 million dollars to spend on how many however many international players they want to sign they could sign two they could sign 20 but they have only that amount of money which is a lot of money it's the largest um, in this year's signing signing pool the next round is seven teams and the, these teams received a competitive balance pick in round a and they have 5.8 million so the gap is quite large it goes from 6.3 to 5.8 and that could be at least two players right that you could have signed over the other teams because you have more money to spend or you just have more money to spend on the on the bigger prospects so you're going to put you're going to get more higher rated prospects because you have a larger pool um and then those teams are with the second highest are arizona cleveland baltimore san diego pittsburgh colorado and kansas city um and then you go the next um largest which is 5.284 and then the one after that so let's say if a team signs a player who rejected a qualifying offer the previous off season then they lose 500k oh, wow. from their pool so these three teams that happened to you and so their pool is at 4.6 million. So the Angels, because they signed Cindergard and he rejected a qualifying offer. But so they, they signed Tyler Anderson too, who was, I think he was offered a qualifying. But that won't happen until next year. Oh, it's the, from the oh I see. Yeah, so it's from the previous offseason. So the Phillies, when they signed Castellanos this year, they lost 500K. Same with the Red Sox when they signed Story, right? So they lose it out of the pool for this year, even though they signed them in the offseason of the previous year. The Dodgers are very interesting. So because they surpassed the luxury threshold from the previous season and they they signed Freddie Freeman, they lose double for Freddie Freeman. So they lost a hundred K. So the Mets are never gonna have international money. Not anymore. In the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, especially if they 
they're going over the luxury tax and signing people who rejected yeah. qualifying offers. That's just, yeah, you're losing both. So the Rangers also lost 100K, but because they signed both Seager and Simeon. Okay. Um, and then those those forfeited money, so they forfeit that money, gets redistributed to other clubs to use. So it is a competitive advantage not to sign people. It can be a competitive advantage not to sign people who rejected qualifying offers, but it you wouldn't see the reward until later. It's a lagging indicator, right? Because it's taking away money from the international signing pool, and those assets don't necessarily come to fruition until you know five, six years down the road. So yeah, I, I also want to note it, um, note that th this international pool money can be traded too. Oh yes, thank you. Um, you know, I that one team, uh, being a fan of the Yankees, I know how much Brian Cashman loves his international pool money. The Yankees are always getting one of the top prospects in the international market, but there are also teams that don't really emphasize it just depends on each team strategy like the mets might going forward if they're going to be losing international pool money um i don't know what their front office what billy epler and 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 co feel about the international um market but they they might be like hey it's worth it to you know spend over the luxury tax and not really look into the 16 year old signings that are six years away right or more um but you know that's um it, it it varies per team like there's there's also teams that concentrate in certain markets too like the white Sox. i i don't think they look anywhere outside of cuba like they 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 love to be in the cuban markets on cuban players uh it, it varies per team it's it, it's interesting you, know, you you'll probably notice your favorite team's trends by looking at their their um you know international signings but yeah years past um one other thing to note is that it used to be unlimited money teams had unlimited but now there's cap to make it a little bit um more accessible and can have a competitive balance right because the yankees if they don't have a salary cap then the pirates are screwed or you know yeah, what I, mean? I agree because they just can't spend as much money so the signing pools especially based on draft and record um really help those smaller market teams i have some a quick uh, few stats up about this signing period that I think are pretty cool. So there was 18 countries that players were signed out of. Very cool. Which is really cool. Yeah. And I have the spending per country, but the top two, Dominican, 49.7 million. Yeah. And then Venezuela, 26.3. Um, and then, you know, I have spending by team. So Sarah was like outlining some of the polls. Not everyone used their whole poll yet. They, okay. they still have time. They still have till December 15th. Right. So. But, you know, right now, the top three, Cleveland spent 5.9. Cleveland, not a small market, spent yeah. the most. San Diego spent 5.6, and that's all on the number one international prospect. Wow. And Seattle spent 5.3. So, um, you know, there's definitely still pull left with some of these teams, but a lot of the top prospects have already signed. Yeah, and what are some other countries I saw? I the Pirates um, has, Uganda. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, Uganda. Shout out Tom Gillespie, um, working the working the African baseball market. So I did see there was I think the Rangers and someone out of Italy. Shout out Italy. Hell yeah, pro baseball in Europe. Ciao. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also have signings out of Nicaragua, Curacao, Colombia, Aruba, Haiti, South Korea, the Bahamas, Taiwan. Japan, Mexico, Panama, Ecuador. That's interesting. You don't see too many signings out of Ecuador. Um, 
So it's a pretty big market to pull from. Yeah, I wonder if more South American countries are going to get involved with, you know, turmoil or unrest in a lot of the other South American countries that typical that typically are bigger markets. Yeah. Absolutely. Know, just thinking loud here. Um, also, a couple of the, should we list off some of the top prospects that were signed? Yeah, I would love to know their names, their positions, and the team they signed for and for how much, because yeah. these are going to be names you're going to want to look out for. Like I said, they're lagging indicators, so they, you won't see them necessarily in the league until, you know, five, six years from now, but good to know where your team's spending money and on whom. Yeah. So like, you know, for context, like this is how Vladimir Guerrero was signed. Like exactly. a lot of your top Dominican players came through this uh, signing period. Um, number one, Ethan Salas is a catcher from Venezuela, signed with the Padres for five point six. That's all they spent. All I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's their whole pool. Typically, the big signings are anywhere from like three to five six million. I, I haven't. I don't know if I've seen six, but five point yeah. six is one of the highest. San Diego's pool is five point eight. Okay, well, they have 200,000. Yeah. <laughs> um, next, we have Felnin Celestin, a shortstop from Dominican, signed with Seattle for 4.7. Um, and third, we have the top Cuban prospect, Brandon Maia, signed with the Yankees for 4.4. To note, also, due to its uh, difficulty with the Cuban players defecting, um, Brandon might be older than 16. He might be 18. He might be more. I don't know his exact age, but some of these, uh, you know, Cuban signings don't sign until they're 18, 20, 21 even. Um, so he might be a little bit more physically or just, uh, you know, developed. developed athletically ready for a higher level. A lot of these guys will start in a DSL, um, you know, for yeah. a year or maybe two. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we I'll, I'll, I'll give you two more. Emmanuel Bonilla is an outfielder from the Dominican, signed with Toronto for 4.1. And then Brailer Guerrero is an outfielder from the Dominican, signed with the Rays for 3.7. The Rays are often pretty active in this market. You know, they got Wander Franco as yeah. number one a few years ago. So um, a lot of names. Speaking of Guerreros. Yeah, there was another one, right? Yeah. We have... Um, there is a town of, I swear Vladimir Guerrero has a town uh, that he's developing Guerrero baseball players in, in Dominican. Uh, Pablo, the his one of his younger sons, signed with Texas. I don't yep. know his bonus amount. Um, but yeah, he, he recently signed. And I'm not sure if this Guerrero that I just named is related either. He could be. Very good chance. Very good chance. <laughs> yeah, so that's the international signing period. It used to be July 2nd. It used to be in the middle of the summer. Um, and that was a little difficult for both teams and players. So I kind of like January 15th. Um, would love to hear from some international scouts or front office on their perspective. Obviously, I was never in that part of it. I was just, you know, doing the rosters fun Evis and loving the players um, when they came up from the DSO. But it is, it is an interesting time and it is an interesting way to acquire talent. Um, every team does it. Every team does it differently. So, yeah, it's just an interesting thing to look out for. Um, when you see these players signing, they look like twigs and they're babies. But, you mm -hmm. know, just five, six years down the line, they're, they could be your favorite player. It's just wild to see. One thing I did want to know was that they – 
if they sign when they're 16, they have to turn 17 by September 1st of the following season, I believe. Okay. Or by their pl- first like playing season. So maybe September 1st of the season they sign. Um, they have to turn 17. So you can't really sign any 15 or 14-year-olds like you could back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I I know the rules changed due to the period. It used to be July second was the signing date. So right. it's called the J two period. I know I I'm, I'm assume that the you know the age restrictions shifted a little bit with the signing period starting in January. But yeah, I mean the you know maybe the casual fan might not uh, pay as much attention to this, but you know this it's it's really something to watch these guys mature. Like they look they're so young when they sign and then, you know, they could turn into Vlad Guerrero. Vlad Guerrero was always big, but, um, you know, Starling Marte or O'Neill Cruz, O'Neill Cruz, you or, know, um, oh, Miguel Sano. He's a yeah. classic example. Yeah. Yeah. Be on the lookout. So yeah, that's the international signing period again. So we covered arbitration and international signing, just giving you guys a look behind the curtain, behind the CBA, what goes on in baseball in the season. And if you have any questions, that dm us message comment on twitter instagram we're happy to answer any questions and we're learning just like you are awesome anything to add on that your international signing scotty no um you know check out who your team signed uh you know follow them through the dsl and gcl and or azl and um see how quickly they they move up i mean it's it's probably going to take a year or two for some of these guys. Maybe the top end talent might move up quicker, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch these guys mature. So for sure. DSL by the way is Dominican summer league. Ah, uh, Yes. Um, it's no longer the GCL and the AZL. It's the ACL and the FCL, which is Arizona complex league and Florida complex league respectively. I'm yeah. stuck in 2017. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a good place to be stuck, I guess. Um, all right, cool. Well, let's get into some fan questions, some listener questions. Let's do it. So this week we um, had up on we put on Twitter and on our Instagram story and ask us anything. And uh, we are going to bring the questions to the show. So first, Danny G. Shout out Danny G. Thank you for sending in your questions. You do have. A lot of questions. We're going to answer all of them because you're such a loyal fan. First one, Scotty. Should uh, Carlos Beltran be a Hall of Famer? He's got the statistical resume, but the Astros scandal could block him. What do you think, Sarah? This one's tough for me. Yeah, me too. I I love Beltran. I... I, I, uh... (sighs) It's tough. I go back and forth. Me too. I don't know (laughs) if I have an answer for this. My head says no, but my heart says yes. Yeah, my heart definitely says yes. I mean, he definitely undoubtedly has the resume statistically to get in. Um, Now, what kind of treatment is he going to get? Is he going to get the treatment of the PED group? Or is he going to get like a Pete Rose-like treatment? I mean, if it's, you know. Or something different altogether. Yeah, altogether. it, it's difficult. I, I don't. I don't see this group of baseball writers voting him in. Yeah, they, I think he might yeah. be a you know 
the bat what's the ballot in december called um, um not your legacy ballot but something of yeah that. i think he has a chance at that later on but um i would yeah. if i had should, to should he though that's the word the key should. word should is what's getting me i think he I'm just gonna let the baseball writers decide. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna just. But if he was on your ballot today, would yeah. you vote him in? Yes. Okay. I would. I, I would think, vote him in. I think I, I would too. Yeah. Um, you know, I I I think the scandal was obviously unethical, to say the least. Um, but on his playing resume, I I don't think there's a question. I yeah. would go to bed. All right. All righty. Um, second, will the MLB expand to 32 teams anytime soon? I think yes. I yeah. think 2026 or 27, when the next CBA, CBA ends, is when we'll see that. I do see another team in Canada. Yep. Um, and then... I don't know where another team will be. Maybe Mexico or maybe somewhere else in the U.S. What about you? So I think Montreal is coming back. Like Canada, the baseball market in Canada is so large, and I think they could support another team. Um, I I think the other team is going to be. Well, I mean, Vegas is an obvious option. Um, you know, I don't. I think Oakland's moving. Yeah, Vegas already has um, a AAA team there too, so you know there there's a market for baseball. But I also think another option is Nashville. Um, Nashville has a AAA team, and there's also a, a group of former execs and players that are forming to, um, mm. you know, um, move forward with that. It makes sense. I feel like every baseball player lives in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that's where everyone lives in the off season. Yeah, I I think it's, it would be a good baseball city. Like, um, they could definitely. It already is. Yeah, the Vanderbilt. Like, they also have a AAA team. Yep, the Nashville Sound. Uh, yeah, like they used that. to be the Pirates AAA team. Now they're the Brewers. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, to answer the question, um, I think it's coming within the next decade. Okay, so. I'm gonna say 2027. Okay, so you're giving it the exact year. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I would say like after the next CBA. Okay. Um, alrighty. Would the increased player pool leading leading to more uh, quad A, triple A type players in MLB make the game more or less fun or and interesting? Real quick, can we touch on quad quad A players because I'm not sure. Yeah, so quad A meaning like guys that that are just like bouncing back and forth. Yes. From triple, yeah. A casual fan wouldn't necessarily yes. know okay. that. So I just wanting to get that out there so we would call you might call them a journeyman um so, uh, most people call them quad a players so they're people players who go bounce up back up and down from triple a yes um so yeah scotty do you think it'd make the game more or less fun or interesting um i definitely think it'll make it more interesting i like to see those guys make big changes like i like to see the justin turners come in come through those yeah through that group um you know i remember justin turner when he was with the orioles and the mets and he was like um i think he was just like a glove first third base corner infielder um played a little bit of shortstop too um but you know i think for that reason i think it makes it more um 
interesting because then you are able to see which which teams are really excelling at, on the development side, um, getting the most out of these type of players. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm for I'm for, I'm for like what do you what do you think? Yeah, I would think that the league needs to make more of an effort for competitive balance if you're going to add two more teams in, because right now it could use a little bit more, and that's just with 30 teams. So if we're expanding and then thus the player pool expands, I would want there to be a more competitive balance before the players get in there. But I do think having younger players, more quad AAA players would make it more fun and interesting. I do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm just thinking of like guys that get stuck on some teams that don't get like, like I'm so excited to watch Dom Smith on the Nets. Yeah, starting exactly. First baseman. Um, when, a few years back, I was I was really wanting Clint Frazier to get out of New York to get a yeah. chance somewhere. Um, that would pre present an opportunity here when you get two more teams. Um, right. But yeah, no, I, I I agree with you there. Um, alrighty, uh, last from Danny G. What's the most fun team to watch for an, a neutral fan? Because he said for me it's Toronto because of how young and dynamic dynamic their lineup is. What do you think, Sarah? I know your answer is Toronto because you're obsessed with their core, their young core. Yes. Yeah, I would say Toronto. I'm going to try to think real quick of another one. Do you have one on mind? Like, I, I think Toronto is like a very like popular answer here. Yeah, I think Toronto is a good one because it's a big market as well. But if you're going for small mar small market, I'll give you two teams. San Diego. They're going to be so fun to watch this year. For sure. Um, and also Milwaukee. They're always fun to watch. It's a good baseball town. They've made some interesting moves this offseason. So, yeah, those are my two teams. I would say other than Toronto, I would say if you don't know which team to root for and you want to just watch some fun games, watch San Diego, Milwaukee, and maybe Toronto. I've got one. Came to me real quick. Is it Seattle? It's not Seattle. Okay. That's a good answer, though. The Cleveland Guardians. Oh, because in, your boy. Stephen Guan is does play in baseball. We all know that. Um, but they're, you know, for me, and I think contact and speed is is a is what I like to watch in baseball, you know. Um that's what that team displays. Like that's their MO. They just added Josh Bell, so they add a little bit of slugging with Josh Naylor and uh, you know, Jose Ramirez, but they make a lot of contact. And with the new roles this year, um, that will, you know, probably lead to more stolen bases. You got Miles Straw, Stephen, Stephen Kwan, Jimenez, Rosario. Um, you've got some speed on this team, but guys that all make a lot of contact, like they're just going to be scrappy. And, um, they're my version of Big East basketball back when, yeah, whatever's the thing, physical, like scrappy team. Like, I, um, I, I think Cleveland's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, it's a great answer. I'm, I'm definitely going to watch them. So, yeah. Thanks, Danny G. And then we're on to the Instagram questions. We have a few from some followers at Anna Marie Renee. Do you know her? Um, yeah, I think I've met her a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. Um, she asked, who's going to win the World Series? Ooh, should we make two early picks? <laughs> so, here's what I'm going to do I don't want to give my picks away yet. Okay. I'm going to give what like a few teams that I think in each league can get there. Okay. That are set up to get there. Okay. Lay it on us. I think the AL is thinner. 
I think I think the Yankees can get there. I think the Blue Jays can get there. And I think the Astros can get there. I think that's about it in the American League. Not even the Guardians? I think just... the Gar- Guardians are a sleeper, but um, you know, I think those three teams have the best chance. Yeah. In the NL, I think the Braves have a great chance. Um, I think the Mets have a chance. I think the Phillies have a chance if they hold above water until Bryce Harper gets back. Yeah. I think the Cardinals always have a chance. Yeah, they do. They're weird like that. I really like the Dodgers and Padres this year in NOS. The NL is deep. The NL is deep. I never thought I'd see the day. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the teams I would say. Okay, those are good teams. Those are good teams. I would echo that. Um I right now in this seat in January before the spring training even starts, I think the Astros are going back to back. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I yeah so that's no one heard that. That's what I'm gonna say, Anna Marie. Watch out for a, a back to back. A dynasty is being so, built in Houston. So Anna Marie, if you're if you're getting your bets ready, you're placing a future. <laughs> you know where to put it. Exactly. Um. Alrighty. I must say we did say ask us anything. So at Adam Shore one asks, why does my left foot itch? It's never the right foot, always the left. Please help. Interesting question. Always the left foot. Have you tried becoming a switch hitter? Yeah. So what I'm thinking, I know, like, you know, I'm assuming, I don't know. I'm assuming Adam's um, a player. Is are are you leaking too much on your front foot, Adam? Are you mm-hmm. are you getting out on that left foot too yeah. early? Are you pronating? Yeah. Or what's like you need on? maybe you need to sit back more. Um, you also might have athlete's foot. You might need to get that checked. Yeah, maybe get some powder for that. So I'm, thanks, I'm, Adam. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that, Adam. Hope it hope your left foot feels better. Yeah, hope it heals. Maybe give it some love, but don't forget about the right foot. Um, at Concro Seven asks if the MLB got redrafted every year, what position would consistently be drafted highest? That's a great question. This is a great question. I ha- I have to think about it. I already it, know my answer. Is it center field or starting pitcher? It's up the middle players. Oh, so shortstop. Catcher, shortstop, um, center, center field. field. Yeah. Um, I, I, those are typically your most valuable players. Um, so, so, you know, I think that's, I know that's a couple positions, but um, I think people could argue pitcher too would get drafted higher, but there's more risk yeah, there of way more. Uh, injury. So I would just say you're up to middle position players. That's right. I would, if I had to pick one specific position, I would say center field. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Yeah. We see that a lot. If I could pick another, I'd pick shortstop because usually shortstops are the most athletic and can transfer to other positions. Um, pretty sure Mariano Rivera was drafted as shortstop. Same with Jorge Posada. And obviously they are not who you think of when you think of Yankee shortstops. So I would say shortstop and center field. Let's just say this. If you come in and you're drafted as a shortstop or signed as a shortstop, like it's good to start there because maybe you, you grow out of shortstop move to third base yeah or maybe your arm's not good enough you move to second like it's good to start there yeah um all right at concrow seven asks another question how many ballparks have you been to sarah i've been to half of them um let me just say this 
I've been to more than that, but these are stadiums I've seen actual games at. And these are all current ones. So I've been to old Yankee Stadium and new Yankee Stadium. Uh, I've also been to um, the Metrodome, which doesn't exist anymore, but mm -hmm. I've never been to Target Field. So these are current stadiums that you've seen games at. And for me, that's 15. Okay. Um, I've been to 13. Um, yeah, same rules apply. Okay. Um, I mean, let's throw something in here. Like, what was your favorite? Favorite of the current stadiums. I have favorites for different reasons. Like I worked at some of them. Okay. So like PNC, for example, like I had all the access. So it was extra cool. It was on my bucket list before I got a job there. So I, to me, PNC is one of my favorites, but it also I worked there. So it's like not my favorite. <laughs> um, I, even as a Yankee fan, I love Fenway. Babe Ruth still played there. Every Yankee player we loved every, you know, like the mm -hmm. history there is unbelievable. Um, I have so many favorites, Scotty. It's hard to pick just I one. don't know if I can pick a favorite. Like, yeah, you're the one who asked the question. I know, I know. <laughs> I just was interested to hear yours, but I um like I'm gonna recuse myself from picking Yankees and Pirates because like I think okay. Pirates is like a unanimous top three stadium. Like it's just such a beautiful I've seen it so much, yeah. and I'm not even complaining about that. I've but it's 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 amazing that i get to live by the best one of the best ballparks and being a fan of the yankee stadium like i feel like and i've heard from people that old yankee stadium is much different like it's much, much better, better. People i like it more. actually hate the yankee stadium, okay so like so. i think yankee, new yankee stadium is cool i like, like i don't um but um it's too you know, corporate like it's too it's like a mall yeah yeah i hear that a lot um i would say i'm gonna i'm gonna list off a couple here seattle is awesome never been oh yeah i have just kidding seattle is awesome camden yards camden Go yards to camden yards and amazing then underrated toronto so you have never been to the, the atmosphere Center. amazing it's so loud in there it, it's it's what you would like you you really feel like you're in a like indoor soccer stadium overseas like it's if you're at a right at the right game i was had i was lucky enough to go to the alcs in 2016 between Cleveland and Toronto and it was super loud and it was like they home field advantage was a actual thing. So yeah, it's well, amazing. it wasn't, but um, so for me, I would say the oldest stadium. So Fenway and Wrigley top, like want to go to Wrigley. Yeah. We got to go. Scotty, you've got to go. It's so good. So those are just like in their own tier because of the history. Right. But then you have like the nineties, early two thousands ballpark, which is, was like a renaissance of ballparks. And they all have a similar um, architecture to them, and those tend to be my favorite. So that's Petco, that's PNC, um, that's Coors, that's Camden. Oh, nice. Those are all built. Yeah, those are all built around the same time, and you can tell like the structure is really thoughtful. It's integrated into a city neighborhood, um, and they all have great views, and they're all just they all just feel good. So those ballparks built around the nineties, late early two thousands are my absolute favorite awesome i i gotta see course i gotta see wrigley those are on my list let's go i'm ready um next at dan dan kelly ma asked how quickly do you think teams make a change at catcher following robot umps okay so interesting question thanks for uh yeah, writing in question. danny 
or Dan Kelly, if you will. Um, so we will see this in AAA, which mm -hmm. may be a domino effect for the kind of catchers that are drafted or acquired at lower levels because of robot umps at AAA. Um, I think it does take a while, but you know, teams are going to look for catchers with more defensive skills and more batting skills, hitting skills, than they are framing skills, which, which is what they're looking for now. So, yeah, no, I, like I totally... you got to have an arm and a bat. Yeah, no, I 100% I agree. Like, finding a good offensive catcher is hard as it is, but, um, you know, you've seen over the past decade where teams have really prioritized framing. Um, you've seen guys really like Austin Hedges is who the Pirates just signed. He can't, he hasn't hit over 180 in a while, but he is one of the best defensive catchers in baseball, if not the best. Yeah. And he has a job every year. Um, uh, people like that might unfortunately be phased out. I'm not sure how that will transition. Um, but I think you're going to see more emphasis on guys like Jorge Alfaro, who was just signed by a minor league deal to Boston. Like that. He has arguably 60 grade power. Um, you know, a Gary Sanchez who has a strong arm and a big bat, but he struggles blocking and, and framing. Um, you know, that might not be that much of a, um, you know, need going forward. I'm just wondering, like, with the robot arms, if I still think framing is going to have some kind of effect because you're like, uh, you're gonna I don't to, know if it will. Yeah, because they're going to just read where the ball crosses uh -huh, the plate. Okay, exactly. that's interesting. Okay. But defensive, like when you mentioned blocking, that's that still a key. Still yeah. definitely matters, especially if the the shift is being banned. Yeah. Like, and you players need to take all the small ball they can get. You know what I mean? It's. You also see some catchers now. Um, you're doing it already, guys. They're catching on one leg. Yeah. Um. To like maybe they struggle with blocking and it um you know helps them um you know it, it might inhibit them from um getting up and throwing down the second quicker i'm not sure if they're doing it with guys on base but um that might be something you see guys do um too okay so to dan's point how quickly do you think teams make this change at catcher i mean i think if next season Next season, if Robodumps were announced in MLB, I think you're going to see a flurry of teams going after offensive. I think it's going to be a trend right away. Okay. So no time at all, basically. Yeah. Very cool. Because you have, you, you like, let me step back a second. Like, you're, they're seeing it happen already. Like, they're seeing it at the Arizona fall. Like, they're seeing the effects of it already. True. Um, I don't think they're going to wait any time at the major league level. Yeah. So. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, finders, um, Instagram followers, Twitter followers, all you people out there who listen to us. We appreciate the questions. Keep them coming. We'll probably do this once a month, a little Q&A. So we'd love to hear from you. Um, you know where to find us, Twitter, Instagram, email, thefalvine at gmail.com or just thefalvine um, where you find social media. Yep. Thank you for the questions. Uh, we'll do this again. All right. Thanks, guys. We're going to get to our uh, rating comp. Let's do it. Okay. White wine rating and comp, Scotty. Pinot Grigio 2019 Devil's Advocate. What do you got? All righty. Let's see. So here's how I'm going to go about this. 
Okay. I'm gonna give this a pitcher comp. So this is a this is a pitcher who came in the league and we're not sure if he's able to start. Are you you're gonna grade it after you comp? Yeah, yeah. well, I'm just giving a description for okay. this. This is the type of player this is. Okay. Um I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a 45 plus. Okay. Wow. Room for growth here. Yeah. Um a pitcher that comes in the league, we're not sure if he's able to start. The starts are a little bit rough. The, the start, it, it comes off very bold, but finishes nicely. Um, he's got to work on that, you know, third uh, secondary pitch. You know, I am going to go with, oh, this is tough. <laughs> this is tough. I really backed myself in the corner. With this <laughs> yeah. is I was trying to go with like a start finish um, because, you know, it this, I like this one. It, it starts like very strong um, or bold, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's kind of rough in a way yeah. and then finishes real nicely. So I'm thinking of like a reliever um that was not able to start um justin with a, oh here's one tanner halk with the boston red sox oh. moved to the bullpen this year had some command issues but he's definitely got stuff yeah so all right i like it i am going to give this a 55 Ooh. I really am enjoying it. I think it has a high ceiling, so 55 plus. Oh, there we go. Um, I'm going to say it's the Tyler Anderson of Wines. Okay. He gets you outs. He, you know, may be liked by some high-profile people, a.k.a. the Dodgers, um, but he's also good enough for the small market teams, a.k.a. the Dodgers. So, um, this wine would be good anywhere anytime um it's really good for a light meal or for you know like cheese and crackers or a nice you know like fish and chips which isn't light but it's fishy so it, it goes well with white wine um yeah i really like it i think everyone who is into pinot grigio should try it if they haven't already even if you're not into white wine you actually might like this wine because it's really like pear juice um, yeah, 55, Tyler Anderson. Lock it in. I like it. I like it. You know, Tyler Anderson, it, he's going to get you out. So it might not be sexy. He might do that little kick with his leg when he's in his uh, <laughs> yeah. um, stretch, but um, he's going to get you an out. So he's efficient. Exactly. And um, this wine so far has been efficient. <laughs> All righty. No, I think that's good. This is a good wine. Thanks, Mama Stein, again. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, we'll be back next week. Um, as always, can't plug social media enough. But if you have any wine suggestions or wines you want us to try, we'd love to try anything you want us to. Um, just send us a message and we'd love to rate it and comp it for you. Yeah. So, you know, c going forward, we're going to have, um, you know, off what Sarah said too, definitely send in run, wine wrecks. Um, but we're going to be talking about, we have the Caribbean World Series coming up. Yeah, it starts February 2nd. Um, we're also into February. Um, when we get closer to spring training, when pitchers and catchers report, we'll probably start doing divisional previews. Um, we still, I feel like there's still some trades about to happen. Um, so there's going to be a few moves here in the next month. And then pitchers and catchers report, usually around Valentine's Day. So... Uh, looking forward to going through the divisions with y'all. Yeah, it'll be fun. 
All right. Well, thanks for hanging out along the foul line with us. Cheers, Scotty. Salud. Intro music by Jordan Montgomery and Driving While Black Records. Uh, look, big paper, I increase my wealth. Uh, red wine, that's good for my health. Uh, wrestle with demons, I ain't take no L's. Uh, allow me to introduce myself. I said, big paper, I increase my wealth. Huh, red wine, that's good for my health. Uh, wrestle with demons, I ain't take no L's, huh? Allow me to introduce myself. Oh, thank you.